0: Hello everyone, Brandon Harvey here. Welcome to this week's episode of Sounds Good. This is the podcast where every single Monday I sit down with an inspiring person and talk about happiness, overcoming struggles, and living a life of intentionality and wonder. This week I have Tyson Motsenbacher on the show. I actually grew up watching Tyson perform. We grew up in the same hometown, little Pullman, Washington, and we're connected in all sorts of ways. I've been keeping tabs on Tyson since we both left Pullman, and it's been incredible to watch his journey as an artist. I always knew Tyson was talented, but about a year ago, he started to really turn up. He was actually blowing up. He opened for James Bay, then he opened for Vance Joy, then he toured with John Foreman, and all while this was happening, NPR did an incredible feature on his new album, and Starbucks across the world started playing his music. To quote the NPR article, Tyson's new album, Letters to Lost Loves, is a strongly formed debut album from someone who's been through the ringer spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Today Tyson and I dove deep into the story of loss, doubt, and growth he's been experiencing over the last few years, and it's truly left me so inspired. I hope you feel the same way. Oh, and stay tuned for the end of the episode to hear one of the most powerful songs off Tyson's new album. This is going to be so good, let's just jump straight into the conversation. All right, everybody. I am here in the studio in Nashville, Tennessee. Tyson Motzenbacher just flew in on an airplane. Tyson, welcome to Nashville. Thanks for having me, man. Dude, this is so fun. It is fun. I agree. So, get this. Tyson and I actually went to high school together. Sort of. Sort of. We we went to the same high school at different times. Yes. And so we were reminiscing just now about like all of our old experiences back in our hometown of Pullman. I remember that you were fantastic at ultimate frisbee. Mm. Are you still fantastic at ultimate frisbee?
1: I am okay at ultimate frisbee. Okay, that's I like good. I play. I like to play frisbee golf now. That's good.
0: That's kind of the the old guy version. Of that's right. Ultimate frisbee. It's the
1: aging ultimate frisbee guy. Yeah, who plays frisbee golf just like how the aging normal guy plays normal golf. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Get this. This is this is the memory that I
0: I remembered yesterday. You used to be a lifeguard at the Rainy Park Pool. Yes, I did. I remember (laughs) girls in my grade being like, Tyson Matzenbacher is like the hot lifeguard. Like they they would talk about you as like the hot one. Really? Yeah. And I'd be like, I knew that guy. Or I would tell them, I'm, I'm like, oh, I know that guy. Like
1: I know Tyson. Yeah. And it was very impressive. Everybody was very impressed. Um, I was the world's worst lifeguard. That's terrible. I was horrible. Um, I, maybe not like at the actual life-saving part. I think I probably could have done that. But the sort of like day-to-day tasks, I was very bad at them.
0: You just went to TAN. Was that kind of it?
1: Yeah. Kind of like um, I came to I came to get a paycheck. But, but then when I got there, I just was so bored. I've, I have like horrible ADD. So like the idea of sitting in a chair for like, you know, an hour at a time or whatever was yeah. the worst job ever for me. That sounds awful. Yeah. So like one time I pierced my ears while I was lifeguarding. Oh my gosh. And one time I um I made this, I would always make these contests up for these kids. So I would like tell the kids, there's the, all these river rocks out next to the pool. And I told this kid one time to go and fill his t-shirt up with rocks. And then he, I told him to throw all the rocks in the pool. And then I said, on the megaphone, I said, whoever gets the most rocks wins. But the, there was like so much dirt on the rocks that the whole pool turned into like this huge muddy soup. Oh man. And you couldn't see the bottom of the pool anymore because it was covered in it was full of mud now. And uh, my boss came out and I almost got fired for that one, but I and I for sure should have. Oh my gosh. That is I didn't. absolutely nuts. I kind of want to
0: unpack this idea. Um, you you grew up in Pullman most of your life, right?
1: Um I we moved there when I was in the fifth grade in the fifth grade okay
0: so like your formative years junior high high school um you and i kind of i mean we both had the same experience we grew up Mm. in a small town and then we kind of left our small town and then we went on to do kind of creative things right and there's a lot of people who stay in our little hometown Mm -hmm. um and i don't want to say that that's a negative thing like i've got friends who are like awesome and they like went to college somewhere and they studied agriculture and then they went back and they're going to like innovate and do amazing things on their family's farm. Sure. Like that's super cool. Um, But there is something to be said for the fact that like we're in totally different places now. Like, right. What do you think was the catalyst for you in like getting out of your, of like our little hometown?
1: Um, I think, I think one thing for me was, um, so my parents moved my family all the like tons and tons and tons of times before we came to Pullman. So I always sort of had this feeling that that was like what you did, mm. that like you weren't supposed to stay someplace for very long. Um, I think that was part of it. I think part of it was that I was really really thirsty to see what the world looked like. And I think that when you're in a when you're in a small town, you have this perception that like the world is better. Right. That like there are better things outside of this because your perspective is just it's just basically, you know, your hands in front of your face. That's as much as you can see of the world. And I think that when you leave home, your perspective changes from it being from it being uh, better to it being bigger. Right. Hmm. And like which isn't necessarily better. It's just that there is more. And like. I think that for me, one thing that really changed when I left was that I've started viewing agriculture and education as like noble pursuits. Yeah. That was a big thing that changed because I Cause think those that...
0: were the only two jobs in our town for the most part. You worked for the university or you worked for a farm.
1: Exactly. Or yeah. you
0: like supported the people who did. I yeah, some... like having a restaurant so that they could eat.
1: Yeah, you owned the beer store. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um or my like my dad was a principal. And what what did you, what were your what did your parents do again?
0: My dad worked for the university. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. Exactly.
1: Yeah, so it was like um that's that was that was how it was. And I think that like sort of seeing those things as the noble pursuits of life. I don't know. I think it's important one part of growing up mm-hmm. is seeing that like bigger is not always better, but it is more. Yeah. You know,
0: yeah, that's that's been something interesting. And I left for, I moved to Portland, right? And you, for the last several years, have been living in San Diego, right? Yeah, and uh, you for a while were like working at a Starbucks, Mm -hmm, totally. Um, And then from there, you kind of took the leap into uh, the music world, and you kind of went full on. Like, what was that like?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I moved to San Diego. I was actually supposed to move to Portland. Oh, really? Yeah, I was supposed to move to Portland. And work in the music business. I was going to be a booking agent. Huh. And then that I graduated from college in a bad year for the American economy. <laughs> and one week before I was supposed to start, the guy, the head of the agency, called me and said that they were high and dry. They were like totally out of business. Wow. So I was like, I guess I'll just move to San Diego, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. So I moved down there. I I was working at. I got a job at Starbucks. I think I like one thing was that I felt trapped in that did you work did you work jobs when you moved to portland i was fortunate enough to be able to like kickstart my photography business when yeah, I yeah, moved yeah. to portland
0: so i kind of was self-employed when i jumped in totally um, oh wait actually no that's not true i i just never talk about this so i forget this yeah i ended up getting a job uh at makeup artist magazine Whoa! Th- th- I've never shared this before. I I'm gotta, really excited here. Isn't about this it. hilarious? Yeah. I uh, yeah. I was doing social media for them, and it was super fun, like learning how to do social media stuff with them. But it's like it was a magazine for yeah. makeup artists, right. and so I actually know way more about makeup than uh, than anybody would ever expect from me. Hmm. Um, but so that was like you know I had to pick up a job like that when
1: I moved yeah. to Portland. Yeah. So I think for me, I remember like and like the music business is hard. It's it's a hard business. Totally. Um, and I think like starting out, I always knew that's like ever since I was a kid, like that's what I always wanted. I wanted to write songs, like what I wanted to do, um, and play them and like share a human experience with, with a group of people. And I grew up watching you play. Yeah, totally. So, um, I remember I was, I was at Starbucks and I didn't really know how to start. And I think like one thing when I talk to people that are looking at making the leap, I was telling them like, I think I I, I remember feeling so stuck. And I actually also think that feeling stuck is a, is a sort of like inherent characteristic of being in your mid to early 20s. Hmm. I think that that is part of it. Okay. Right? Is be feeling stuck. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that that is bad, but I think it's good to know that that's part of that stage yeah. of life.
0: Th- that like a lot of people experience this at this point because you're, it's a hump. You're getting over a hump.
1: Yeah. Like I remember when I was like at the, in this stage of my life, one of my friend's dads, there were like 15 of us living by the beach in San Diego and just like trying to surf and figure out, our lives and one of our friends dads called us on speakerphone and told us that we were wasting our 20s. He's like you guys are wasting your 20s and that hit me really hard and it was I didn't know what to say to him because I didn't know what to do. I was mm-hmm. like, "Well, what am I supposed to do, man? Like am I supposed to go work at a firm? Like is that what's expected of me? Like am I like I don't know what that means. Like I don't know what a firm is." Yeah. But am I supposed to get a firm job? <laughs> and uh and so I remember being at Starbucks and feeling like um feeling stuck there and being like, my, the only thing I can do with my life is to try to do the next Starbucks job, which is like, and I remember people be like, you should be a shift manager. I'm like, I don't want to be a shift manager. I want to play the guitar. Yeah. And then they'd be like, and then I'd be like, this is the immediate thing that I can do is get a shift manager job at Starbucks. And I, I couldn't see outside of that at all. So a few, a few years ago, this kid came up to me and he was like, he was like, I want to, he's like, I want to talk to you. And I said, okay. He's like, um, I want to do what you do. And this was a year or two into me playing music full time. And I said, Why do you want to do that? He said, Because I feel like if I had influence, then I could do good with my influence. Hmm. And I said, Well, what do you do with the influence you have right now? And he said, Well, nothing because I don't have any influence. I was like, yeah, Well, you have, you, have a, you have a little sister, right? He's like, I was like, Or a brother or something. So, yeah, I was like, Well, there you go. What do you do with that influence? I said, because whatever you do with whatever influence you have, you will do it with more influence. And then I said to him, and right now you want to be me because you just saw me on stage and it looked like my life was rad. Um, but what you don't, what you didn't see today was every February when I am crying on the beach, wondering how I'm going to pay my bills that month. <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, he was like, you do that? I said, I've been playing music for two years now and it has happened both years. Wow. Every February, there is a day where I am on the beach crying because I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. And I was like, and that's partly because February is a hard month to make money playing music, but also just because like playing, like making that leap is difficult. But the thing that I want to tell people and wish I could have told myself then is that like, hey man, like crying on the beach in February is a better alternative than feeling stuck. Mm. Um it's okay to feel afraid and it's okay to worry about your future. Um, but it's not okay to be feeling stuck. Um, Not to say that like everyone should go quit their jobs and yeah. music full time or whatever. But I just think that like there is something for everyone to do that is not being stuck.
0: Yeah. Well, so. it's not just this idea of being stuck. It's more so this idea of staying stuck. Totally. Of just totally. kind of, Yeah, I think that we all feel that stuck feeling. Absolutely. And the trick is you just, you push through or like you jump out or you try something new. Yeah. Um, Because the moment that you become stagnant, you lose your ability to, you know, do what you want to do, but also, you know, make an impact in the ways that you want to make an impact.
1: And also I think to be a, like to live the full human experience. Yeah. I think that one of the most important things about living the full human experience is to be all of the things that it means to be a human. Like, so that means feeling sad and feeling happy and feeling afraid and um, doing things that are uncomfortable. Like I think that the kind of the worst thing that you can do as a human is just to like be comfortable. Hmm. Like, and by be comfortable, I mean like be comfortable, like work your way into a position of comfort and then just nest in it for your whole life. Yeah. That that to me is what I don't want to do.
0: Okay. And so how did you, you felt stuck, you were in your job and then all of a sudden, like you were doing music full time. Like what was the, yeah.
1: what was the jump?
0: What was the leap? The leaping those? point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so one thing that happened to me was that when I was going to take that job at the booking agency, the head booking agent was basically like, Hey man, if you're going to work here, you, it's going to be conflict of interest if you're playing. So you got, you got to tell me that like, you're going to lay that down for a while. And I agreed to not make music for at least the first few years I was going to be working there. Um, and so I had that in my mind when I moved to California, and a friend of mine came up to me and he said, uh, he's like, you need to make music. And I was like, yeah, okay, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to do. And he said, what do you need? And I said, I think I need $3,000. <laughs> And he was like, "Why three thousand dollars?" And in that time, in my mind, three thousand it could have, might as well have been infinity thousand dollars. (laughs) I was like, "Just we were. I mean, there were like six of us living in a two bedroom apartment or something." So um, I was like, "If I have three thousand dollars, I think I can make a record and print a thousand copies of it, and then I can sell those to people." (laughs) And he was like, "Okay," and he went around and found three thousand dollars for me. And gave it to me in a check and said, pay me this back if you can. And I said, wow. So I made the record, this little EP. Um, and then I started just kind of touring. So the first thing that I did was I just booked a tour up the West Coast. Like I played, I think, seven shows or something. I played, And I just called places that I knew had music. Um, and it was also partly my background of like trying to be a booking agent. I kind of knew a little bit about what to do with that. Anyway, so I booked all these shows and I think like anywhere from three to 40 people came to them. Whoa. Yeah. Which is pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> like we played at, uh, where do we, we played in, I was playing solo actually for those shows. I was with one other person for a little while. We played these tiny little rooms, little coffee shops and whatever else. And I sold a bunch of CDs to people and I sold a bunch of CDs to people online. And then I put that money away and that was basically the beginning. So after that, I mean, I did, I've done everything that you can do in the music business. Like after that I was doing, I played bass for a band for a while, a horrible band that was trying to hire me out to go on tour. So I went on tour with them for a while and then I went, um, I played uh, guitar in a different band. And then I toured my records more and I did some young life camps. I did like a few of those in the summer. And so you were just, you were just kind of covering the spectrum. You're like, I'm doing whatever it takes to, to make music, whatever it takes. Um, and that actually, so that's something that I've been thinking about a lot now Is that the first stage of my career as a musician was just trying, I was like, this is what I want to do. This is the banner music. Yeah. So what's on anything that is under the banner that gives me money. Totally. I will do it. Cause you want,
0: I mean that people do that all the time in photography, where they say, I want to be a professional photographer. And so they do all these things like they're a sports photographer, they're a family photographer, right. they're a pet wedding photographer, photographer. A wedding photographer, all these things when what they really want is to be this other thing. But as long as they're right. being a professional like as long as they're making money doing this thing that they like or a tangent right. of what they like, they do it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with
2: that.
1: Well, I think actually that's phase two. Okay. I think that's phase two because Interesting. Um because I think that figuring out how to run a business yeah. is is hard to do. Totally. So like figuring out how to, I mean, just like basic things of running a business, like booking and like invoicing people and accounts receivable, like all these things that are business school 101 Yeah, that don't, it doesn't even matter if you took business school 101 because like you have to learn them for how they work for totally. your own business. So. That for me was kind of the first step. It was like, okay, okay, I figured out sort of how this works a little bit. I think I can kind of do my taxes now. Kind of. And then And you
0: have money to pay taxes for also. Right. Yeah, there's great.
1: there's like a little bit of money coming <laughs> in. So that, that's that's awesome. And then it's like, okay. Now, I somebody said to me, and this was just, you know, within the last like 3 years or something, was like whatever you do every day is what you do hmm they said it doesn't matter what your job title is this could be for anything it's whatever whatever you do every day is what you do um and i thought to myself well what do i do every day and i kind of like listed the things that i do every day and i was like that isn't what i want to do yeah like i don't want to do those things every day for
0: a lot of people it's probably like i mean i know for me oftentimes it's like it is emailing and it is like writing blog posts like it's just all these things that are Like not for me, you know, not storytelling. That's what I want to be doing more of. It's like, it's not storytelling. And so that's interesting. Yeah. What you do every day is what you do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that was, it seems so simple, but it's so obvious. And I think that like, I mean, in any job that you do, there's going to be stuff that you do that you don't want to. Totally. Like, like, but if, if those are all enabling you to do what you want to do every day, then that to me is the dream. If you can do what you want to do every day, and make a living, then that is the professional dream, right? Yeah. And that's, I feel like for me, like lately, it's been like, okay, so that meant like saying no to some things that I would never have said no to in the past um, because they were really comfortable things for me to do and they were helpful for me. So I was like saying no to some of those other things. And actually, uh, there's another, uh, there's a podcast I listened to with this guy named Merlin Mann who I really like. And he said on one of his podcasts, he said that anything that you say yes to, you say no to a thousand other things. Hmm. And I was like, okay, that's really interesting because you don't see that as the truth early on or even later on really. It's like, okay, like here's an opportunity. I need to do this opportunity. Yeah. Not realizing that every, every decision that you make is taking you down a particular path, like branches on a tree. Yeah. And that like any branch that you pick, there are now... Uh, a thousand branches going the other direction that would have different opportunities totally so um i don't know that was that was good for me too saying like i'm just going to i'm going to try to and it's, it's still not the case for me but i'm going to try to do things that i would like to do because otherwise i am picking to do things that i don't want to do long term
0: okay so remind me again
1: phase 1 is phase 1 is i think it is just jumping it, phase 1 is just like taking a leap it's, I think it is finding a way where you can have enough of a pad there, a safety pad. I mean, like, when I was working at Starbucks, like, my manager there was amazing and was like, hey, we love what you're doing. Like, anytime you need to leave, leave. And there got to a point where it was kind of event horizon where she was like, um, okay, you are gone <laughs> for three months. Yeah. And you're still technically on the payroll. Like, I remember I worked I worked a day, and then I went on tour for th- two months which was straight into another tour for a month. And then I came back and I worked one day and I came in and I was like, Hey, I have another two, three months gone starting, (laughs) starting on Monday. And she was like, you should probably just quit. (laughs) So, and and I said, okay, well, I'm not sure this is going to work. And, and she was like, well, if you ever need to come back, like you can come back. So I think that for me was really, really helpful because I created
0: it. You created some sort of safety net.
1: I had a bit of a safety net, yeah. And I didn't know how that was going to work. Yeah, it's still um, a
0: risk. You weren't playing it safe. Totally. But there wasn't really a worst case scenario.
1: No, worst case scenario is that I I was going to go backwards, which would have felt really defeating to me. Yeah, But it would have been okay. Yeah, you wouldn't
0: have disappeared.
1: Right. And also, by the way, I'm not... Saying that, like the goal is to leave your job at Starbucks. Like I, I loved, like I have a ton of friends that work there still, and I liked working there. And like that's not a that is a noble pursuit. Yeah, just like working on a farm. Yeah, I I think it's just like it's if you feel stuck in something, anything you could be stuck feeling feeling stuck playing music for a living. Yeah, and I think I like know some people that do that, and I know some people that work in coffee or whatever that don't feel stuck. And I would rather be them than my friends that play music and are stuck. So yeah, um, exactly. Okay, so. Phase one is you know, create a safety net, but, like, take a jump. Create a safety net, take a jump. Phase two is? Phase two is that is whatever you do every day is what you do. So just because your job title says one thing, you need to look at what you do every day because your job title, in my case being songwriter and s- performer, doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. What, what you do every day is what means everything.
0: Yeah. Okay. And then
1: phase three is? I think phase three is is just building that those two things together. Yeah. So um, I think it's I think it's continuing to take those risks with safety nets. Um, but I think it's bi- like, that's where I feel like that's where I am now. So I don't even, maybe I don't know what phase three yeah. is. But I, I think that like, yeah, fa- I think that what I'm doing now, what I, where I'm at right now is that I want to like do things that I love that inspire me that yeah. make me, uh, the, all of the reasons that I fell in love with Music in the first place, yeah, and it's yeah. getting, yeah, it's you going down the
0: specific path you want to be going down. It's, yeah, maybe that's yeah. it, and it's, you know, probably a part of that is probably the idea that you need to say no to good things right. so that you can say yes to great, great
1: things. things. Exactly, yeah, I like that a lot. That's
0: that's probably phase three. There you go. We decided it. Phase three. Can't wait to find out what phase four is. Oh, I'm not man. there yet. No way. <laughs> oh man. Um. So. I want to transition a little bit, uh, and this is a little bit of a heavier note, but yeah. um, around in this same time, uh, your mom came down with cancer. That's right?
1: Yeah, she did. So she was, uh, my mom was a, my hero also. Your mom is incredible. Yeah. Did you know her?
0: I knew, I, I had a few interactions with yeah. her that I remember, but then I also just like I knew a lot of people that knew her. Like, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. She was loved by the community. She was, you know. Yeah. And I knew you, and I knew your sister, right. and I knew your dad. Yeah, Tyson's dad was my
1: uh, middle school principal. <laughs> um, Did he ever suspend you? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Maybe he suspended know. me like four times. He still brings it up. That's great. Um, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, during that time, so I was like, I was trying to figure out how to play music, and I was touring a ton. I was gone all the time. My mom got sick, and uh, um, that was like, you know, obviously a huge blow to me and um, I think that like basically the way the way that that worked out was that she would call me and she would say when are you gonna come home and I was I was in denial the whole time I was like she's gonna get better like she's gonna be and also because she's a strong she was a strong person so like um, the way that she talked about it was not with fear mm-hmm. so and I think when someone that you love talks with fear it feels immediate and when someone that you love who's going through a hard time doesn't talk with fear, it's easy to sort of push it aside. So I didn't go home. I like hardly ever went home. And, and I think while she was sick. And I think part of it was because I was avoiding it. And is half because I was avoiding it because I don't, I naturally avoid hardship. I think everyone does, but I think I maybe do more than most people. And uh, and secondly, because I thought I was lying to myself and telling myself that she was going to get better. So finally, when um, things got really bad, I don't even know what they what they were, but they're, they're, she would talk about her numbers, which I, is some blood count number thing. Mm. I don't know what it is. I don't really I talking about the stuff like logistically is the worst, but basically she had her numbers and her numbers were if they went up, it was bad. And if they went down, that was good. And so her numbers were always going up and down. It was this constant roller coaster. And one day her numbers went way up. And she called me. She's like, numbers are way up. Time to come home. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, it got real, real fast. And so I, I flew home to be with her then. And um and that was, yeah, that was like I canceled everything. It was the first time I'd done that. Like, I canceled like five months of gigs. I was wow. like, I'm just coming home. It was in uh, September.
0: And you were kind of, at this point, you were... I don't want to say living the dream but you were you were you know on a further phase than you were at the beginning yeah and i bet that was hard for you
1: well i mean the thing is that like oh man like maybe this is just me but like i think that in a creative field or anytime that you are owning a business or whatever everything feels so important and so immediate so like for me it was like i've got this gig and this maybe so and so is going to be there and um You know, if I don't, if I cancel this thing, like who knows what'll, who knows what that'll screw up for me. And and I think I felt like, for a long time in my life, I felt like the ground that I was standing on in every part of my life was just, it was, I was standing on thin ice in everything. Like I was on big rickety stilts, (laughs) and that any any tremor in the situation was, I was going to fall, and it was going to be horrible. And part of that was that I didn't know what falling would look like which I think is the worst. If you know what the fall is going to look like, I think you can brace for it. But for me, it was just kind of like, it, the world will end. And so the whole time that I was kind of like, I was, I was, yeah, things were starting to work, which they hadn't, I mean, like I said, I was crying on the beach in February, so they weren't working that well. Um, but, <laughs> But like they were starting to work. And I was like, oh man. And so, yeah, like coming home then was basically me. In some ways, it was the first time for sure that I said to myself, Hey, I had to look myself in the face and say, "Are there things in your life that are more important to you? Are are there actually? Because the obvious answer to that is, yeah, of course there are things more important to me than my stupid career. Like people are more important. But then in practicality, like what you do every day is what you do, right? So like, um, do you actually love your family and your friends? Are you actually willing to put that things aside? When it comes down to it for them, and I really wasn't for a long time until like I got that call. I was like, okay, hey, like this is this is a short life, and there are things that are important in it. And so I, I, did. I went home and I canceled all my gigs, all all like five months of them, all my shows. I had a couple tours in there and a bunch of other stuff. And I just flew home. I was just with my my family for that whole time. And then she, um, basically like. Counseled me through her own passing away. Wow. And, uh, and, um, yeah, and I was with her in the hospice and she passed away. And, um, and yeah, I was, I was there with her. So, and it was, it was kind of a, the end of it. I think I remember I was sitting with her, um, in her room and she was really sick and she was kind of not really with it. And I said to her, I said to her, uh, <laughs> I said, Mom, I need you to tell me that I was a good son to you. Because I felt so guilty for not being home. And she looked at me and she said, You're you were very entertaining." <laughs> and I said, "Mom, that's not what I mean." And then she winked at me. <laughs> it was like her saying like it was her making an entertainer pun to me. Uh... I was saying like I don't it's okay, you're here and it, um, and you get it. You get why it was important for you to come home. And this was like she was barely with it, like she couldn't really put a sentence together. So I thought that was really clever of her that's, in that time. that's powerful. yeah, she yeah, it's got goosebumps, yeah, dude. she was she was a clever one, man. And so she passes away. we yeah, she had a she had a um her memorial service at my dad's school, which seven hundred people came to.
0: unbelievable.
1: yeah, which was crazy from all
0: across the state,
1: yeah, everywhere. I mean, there was ton of, everybody from Pullman was there, and everybody from all yeah all over the state, really. She was I didn't realize how many people like knew her and loved her and then was like, Whoa, a lot of people are here right now. Like the whole gym of the school was full. Wow. I was like, This is like this is a huge thing. It was like a huge event for this little tiny town.
2: Man.
0: And what was your what was your response in the aftermath? You know, you said your mom was counseling you through everything and then she wasn't
1: counseling you through it. So before she passed away, she said to me, um, we were driving in the car and she said, She said, Tyson, you gotta you gotta lean into this. And like, I was like, what do you mean by that? And she said, you are going to try to avoid it, so don't do that. And I was like, well, what, what does that look like practically? And she goes, I don't know, do something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like what? She goes, I don't know, just do something stupid and then think about it. <laughs> That's was, good. And I was like, okay. Um, so I was sitting in the hospice care. Uh, my sister was there. She was doing a puzzle. My sister who speaks of you very fondly, by the way. Your sister is the best. She's going to listen to this and she's going to be so pleased that we talked about oh, her. That. It's so good, yeah.
0: I mean, I hung out with her a year and a half ago, which is oh, yeah. more recently than I hung out. I mean, you and I hung out last like 10 years ago.
1: Took a very long time ago, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she was my sister was in a puzzle and I was looking at my computer and one of my friends who lives in the Bay Area, lives in Oakland, posted a uh, Facebook thing that was like, hey, does anybody want to walk? into the city with me with the city being bay area for San Francisco. And and I read that and I was like, does anybody want to walk to the city? Does anybody want to walk to the city? And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. It's like I'm just going to w- walk to San Francisco. So I like get up out of my out of my chair and I walk into my mom's room. Once again, this is when she was in hospice, so she was barely barely with it at all. And I, I go, Mom, I, I know what I'm going to do. And she <laughs> opened her eyes and I said, I'm going to walk to San Francisco. And she, she kind of closed her eyes. And then she said, you know, you could go all that way without getting anything done at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, damn it. Like this isn't, that's not a good enough fix for her. So anyway, yeah, so uh, she passed away. We did the memorial service. It was beautiful. And then I walked, I went home, flew home to San Diego and then I woke up at 5 a.m. a couple of days later, and I, I live in a town called Solana Beach, which is like North San Diego. And uh, my mom had written me a letter that she wanted me to read later. Um, and then she had a, I, we, she was cremated, so I had some of her ashes. And I walked down to the beach and I read her letter, and I put half of this thing of ashes that was a film canister for my film camera, and I put half of the ashes at this spot this little beach by my house and then i just started walking north and i did that for a month basically i just walked every day for a month it was actually 40 days exactly which was not planned wow but it 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 always felt like that was sort of poetic that it happened to be 40 days um so yeah i just like i would just kind of walk for a while and then i would find somebody's haystack or whatever (laughs) or in la like i camped out in la for four days five five days in LA, I camped out in Orange County. Camped out on the Marine base at Camp Pendleton, and so your stupid thing was that you walked. My stupid thing was that I just walked for forty days. Um, and you and did
0: you think about it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So that was the the way that I have tried to describe it. I think is that every morning I would wake up, and so you know the cars start coming, and I I literally walked like uh, in California. It's the piece. It's the the PCH Pacific coast highway, which is the one or the 101 or the five. And it's the, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. It's so beautiful. And some places more than others. Um, but it is a highway. So like when you're driving it, it's like the California like dream, right? It's like these big, you know, sweeping cliffs and ocean and just in and out burgers as far as the eye can see. (laughs) <laughs> but um, it's it's gorgeous. And, you know, there's big, big Sur's there, which is incredible. Like, one of the most incredible places in the world. But it's a highway. So so when you're walking it, it's, like, filthy. It's a highway. Yeah. It's, like, filthy and loud. So, like, <laughs> I think, like, in my mind, I've been driving that highway as long as I've lived in California. And it's, like, oh, this is the most beautiful, pristine, peaceful place. But then you get out of the car and it's just a bunch of people, like, listening to Pitbull in their Cadillacs or whatever. (laughs) And so every morning I would wake up really early, as early as I could, like when it was still dark um, because there were no cars in the dark. And I would walk down the middle of the highway in the dark and I would have no headphones on or whatever, just me and my backpack and my shoes just being like along the road. And I would pick something so like I basically like, you know, in grief or whatever, you've got your the place where you keep your your mind boxes, <laughs> all the things that you have in your brain, um, all of you know your memories and your feelings or whatever. This is the best way that I, at least in my experience, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I don't know. But this is uh, offic- actually official science called mind boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I so, like this. Yeah, so I would uh, you know, you've got this place in your in your brain that's mind boxes and when you have a traumatic experience or whatever the mind boxes get all get tipped over. So your your all of the things that you keep in your mind boxes are scattered all over this room in your brain. And so I sort of realized that that basically everything that I th- knew to be true, all of the way that I remembered things even was all different. It was all scattered. So I would go and I would I would find a box and I would This would be in the dark in the middle of the highway and I would find it and I would, and I would look in it and then I would sort of take all the things on the floor and I would put it back in there. Like, like for instance, like the first day I remember uh, that the thing that I picked up in my mind box was, was, um was like, okay, what is gone? And it was, uh, Hey mom is not going to be at your wedding. Okay. Um, I can wrap my mind around that. She's not going to be at my wedding. So what does that look like? And then I would kind of, take all the pieces of the mom's not going to be at your wedding mind box and I would look at them and I would say, man, that is lame. And I would take them and I'd put them in the box and I'd put it back on the shelf. And that was basically what I did every morning. I would pick a new thing and I would try to reorganize my mind. So that that was what I did in the mornings. And uh, and then, you know, by 8 a.m., it's people listening to Pitbull in their, co- in their convertibles. <laughs> so... It, I, I would at that point, like I would just try to put my head down and like get through it because it was it's hot and stinky and there's cigarette butts everywhere and <laughs> people like trying like people like just like mad at you. People are just mad at you for being yeah. for existing. So I was like, oh, I'll get through that part. But the mornings were magical and the evenings too. So,
0: and forty days later, you made it to San Francisco, California. Yep what what did it feel like as you were walking up like you could probably see san francisco what like what did that feel like
1: there's this tower uh the sutro tower in san francisco is this big radio tower that's up on the up on the hill and uh i could see it from pretty far off um so the day that i knew i was gonna, the day that i was like oh, today i'm going to make it i was in this little town this kind of just the south end of san francisco and <laughs> i went into this mcdonald's there and I was trying to write down what it would feel like to finish the trip, and these like fifteen dudes walked in that were easily in their nineties, and um, they all had their like World War II bomber jackets on with their patches and their hats and everything, and they're like, you know, their whatever ship they were on, and they come in, they sit down, there's like, there's like. 10 of them sitting at this table next to me and, um, I'm trying to like kind of look through it and answer the question of like, what is it going to be like now? And these guys started talking about basically like the war. (laughs) So like they're talking about the war and they've got their coffee there and I can tell that they've like been doing this for a long time. It's these gold group of buddies that come and they get together and they talk about the war. And, um, they start talking about sort of like all their buddies that don't come and hang out with them anymore. And uh, eventually like kind of the the tide of the conversation turned and they, in less words, were trying to figure out if they were going to be okay, I think, was the best way that I can describe it, was like in this time of their life where they are basically like sitting at the bus stop, right? They're waiting for the bus to come right? And they're like, are we going to be okay? And I realized that like, that was the same question that I was asking myself the whole time was, am I going to be okay? And watching these guys like, um, sort of at the end of their lives, ask the same question. I realized like, Hey, that is not a question that we ever answer. The are we gonna be okay is never a question that we ever answer. I think that that is part of moving through life and that is part of being okay is just continuing to wonder and hope that we will all be okay in the end and that was what i wrote i I wrote down about um sort of just that feeling of hope was that like I think we are all okay in the end and yet never having answered that question even when we are ninety And talking about the war at McDonald's, and so that was what I was thinking about. I remember, like, I remember, like, specifically, I was walking up the highway and I saw the Sutro Tower there, and it was the end, just like these dudes, uh, the end of these dudes' lives. And I was like sitting there, I was like, "This is such a day of ends for me." And that was my question: was Are we going to turn out okay? And I think we are, and I think we're never going to know that for sure. Mm -hmm. That was what I. That was like kind of what I thought about on that last day. And did that is that what inspired the album? Is that, so,
0: I mean, you released an album recently. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the heart of the album in a lot of ways. Is- so,
1: yeah, yeah. So, I mean, when I was doing my mind boxes in the morning, that was, um, part of what would happen. Cause it like, so I've got one, one of my songs, on my album is called honest. And, uh, it, the chorus of it is literally like, it is that process. It's me listing out the things that are gone now. Right. So it's like a, it's me trying to figure out what's gone. And like it's a a pair of jeans, like the the chorus is it's a pair of jeans, it's a rude awake, it's all these like, it's a list of all these different things that I found are gone. And like all of those have little memories attached to me. So I mean like most of that record was either, like I wrote lyrics while I was walking down the side of the road. So there, a lot of that record was either directly inspired by or the songs were actually written while I was walking. Wow. so um, that's kind of where, and I mean, without the, that process of waiting, waking up and, and sorting through it, I wouldn't have any, more or less, I wouldn't have any of those yeah. songs that I wrote after that process, at least. Because,
0: I mean, if you hadn't done that, you might have gone back to playing things safe. You might have gotten into your little rut and tried to keep your head down and not think through things, and you would have maybe stayed there for a while, but you didn't, you you jumped
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that it it was the process of saying like, hey, like that, that question of my mom basically without words saying like, is this more important to you? And I think that like there's, I mean, you know, this happens in Nashville a lot. It happens in LA a lot, I guess. It happens everywhere. But like the sort of thing is like the question of how do I make, how do I find the magical algorithm that makes me a hit song? Right? Like how do, like there is a, what's the, what's the trick? What's the, th- what's the thing that I plug my guitar into that makes a hit song come out of it? And I think that that can sort of uh, happen in any, anything in, in music and in art. And for me, it was just like, as long as I just sort of keep plugging away at this thing, um, it'll work. It'll work out. And I think like kind of that, that process in me was just me realizing like that art is supposed to inform life right like art is supposed to be about life your life isn't supposed to be about art hmm i, I and I, I think that like we get them switched yeah i mean well i mean i think that like that's the best art is just honest commentary on reality and on life and if the only reality that you're living in is how do i make art then i don't think you really have anything to say you know what i mean like yeah. i don't know if you do because because life is bigger than that, yeah, than that
0: and you kind of on your walk you got to wrestle through the process of doubt and right. am i gonna be okay yeah. and what are these feelings and like where like what do i do with this pain right and and that's what people connect with yeah. in the album like i've been listening to the album on repeat mm. just in like preparation for hanging out yeah and it's it's incredible because it's so raw and so real mm. and i i my pain points. I feel your pain points. But if you yeah. were, if you were sitting in a studio writing that, right. without any experience behind it, you like, I wouldn't be connecting with it in the sure. same way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, and I think that like you can, we we recorded that thing up in this little like tiny little studio up in Victoria, BC. That's like basically completely covered in blackberries and i i was in there and i was like it was pretty soon after the after i finished my walk and it was like still pretty real it was still pretty new and i think you can like i remember like sitting in there like feeling it again and i, I don't know if like i you know i am not saying that all music needs to be just this super like raw emotion that's kind of the the that was the process of this one for me and it won't be in the future like you know in other records that i make yeah are, not, are probably not gonna have such a crazy like crisis of faith and a crazy um, spin of emotions and loss. But my hope is that I will enter into them in the same way, which is just like from an honest perspective of human life. Yeah. Um, and not an honest perspective of what is it, why am I having a hard time being a professional musician? Yeah. You know? I feel like a huge
0: part of your album i mean of course it was it was about are we gonna be all right it was about loss but a huge part of it felt like it was about doubt and i think that's something that a lot of people shy away from um i know that i've had times where i've like shied away from doubting you know like i feel like we kind of grow up and we're like uh, like i don't know about you but i feel like i was taught in a lot of ways like you like you shouldn't be doubting things like Mm. you should feel pretty confident in these things yeah you were raised in whether it's this idea of you know, like how you see the world, how you see other people, how you right. see God, how you see politics, how you see yourself. Yeah. Um. But I, I've found for me that like by challenging the way that I see the world and by, in, in a lot of ways, purposefully kind of tipping over my mind boxes and yeah, reassessing yeah, yeah. things and being like, what do I actually think about this? Like what is actually true? What is right. What is the truth? I think it's healthy and important. I think yeah. that it allows you, I think that there's a lot of stuff in our You know, to continue using the metaphor, in our mind boxes, it's (laughs) just crap. It's a lot of BS. And when you strip it down, and you're like, okay, that thing I believed, it's true. But I can get rid of some of this baggage from it. Sure. Um, I think that that's something that's powerful. And so, and so that's just what I've been thinking about as I've been listening to your album. Is this Hmm. idea of doubt and like the beauty and importance of that. And right. Why, like I think that's okay I think that's something that like sometimes you almost need permission to be like it's okay to to doubt
1: I think like if if there is any one message that I could have about this record is that it's not only okay to doubt I think that it's necessary um like I mean it goes back to kind of our, our theory of being comfortable or of nesting right like that it seems to me at least that like a big part of growing up at least in my perception of it was that you figure out, what you want to do, you figure out where you want to live, you figure out who you want to marry, you figure out how many kids you want to have, and you figure out what you believe. And then you nest, right? Like you get those things and then you build sticks around it and then that's it. That's your life. And you're, and it's basically, there's a two point. There's two points in your life. It's that the time when you are building your nest, which is everything that you, figuring out everything that you want and everything that you believe. And then the second half is lit, sitting in your nest. And like, the way that I described this to me was, was like in, in our lives, um, inherently there are times when the data that is given to you v- uh, via the, your experience and the universe, <laughs> it is in direct conflict with what you believe. And so you have a couple of options in that moment. And one option is that you say, well, this data must be wrong. Or the second one is that you put them in a ring and you let them fist fight each other. And that is not fun. It sucks. It's like it's uncomfortable. Um, So for me, the one was like in the first song on my album is talking about like the idea of praying to God and if that works at all. So like, you know, growing up with the idea that like in a more or less like evangelical Christian household, like if you pray to God, it it matters and he listens. And I was sitting on the porch with my mom and I was praying for her. And my dad was in the living room with the door open. And when I finished praying for her, he, says, he, said, he said, Tyson, I don't think that Jesus is in business of healing anymore. This is at the end. This is like kind of at the end when I had come home. And I was like, well, then if he doesn't heal, does he even listen? And if he doesn't listen, then does he even exist? Does he even care? And if he doesn't care, then does he exist? And for me, I was like, my, the easy option would have been like to say, Oh well, you know, the good Lord gives and the good Lord takes away and his ways are not our ways or whatever, like the things that you hear when someone says that to you as a It's yeah, it's kind of the logic. Kid.
0: It's like the oh that's what I'm supposed to say. Yeah. And that's and you could just be like, That's what's right. So totally. that's what it is. This is
1: what's true even. Yeah.
0: And being in the middle of the thing, you know, somebody could offer that advice to you in right. the moment, but when you're living it, it's a lot harder to take the advice at face value.
1: Well, I think it's impossible if you're being honest with yourself, yeah. right? So my reaction was that I wasn't gonna like let that be the case, and I was just gonna like let them fight, and that was like that was one of my morning that was like that was a mind box that got flipped over, right? It's like, oh man, like these two things don't make sense together, um, and and I I uh, I th- I mean I think that you can be someone that doesn't doubt regardless of your beliefs, you can be someone who believes in a higher power who Decides to not doubt that. And um, that is a lot of people who believe in a higher power. Or you can be someone who doesn't want to think about it. Or you can be someone who actively does not believe. or I mean, in anything that you believe in. And I think that like, you know, even the idea of science is that you are constantly reevaluating the thing that you believe. Like that is, you are never sure. And like I've said, I said one time, to my friend, we were talking about doubt. And I told him, I said, at this point in my life, like, there are things that I believe in. And there are things that maybe I would even die for. Like beliefs that I would even die for. But the only thing that I am sure about is that I am wrong. And I, you know, I might be only a little bit wrong or I might be, super wrong, but I know that I'm wrong. I know that I just know that, like, that's the one thing that I'm sure of is that I'm wrong. I know that there are like a lot of things that I believe, maybe some things that I would die to protect them as tenants of my life and my family and my country that I would die for that are wrong. And that's fine. Like, that's okay. And I think that like kind of living with that assumption is a better way to live, I think. It's a better way to be a human being is to be living under the assumption that you are wrong. I mean, the alternative, I mean, you
0: you mentioned this earlier, but the alternative is to not think about it. Right. Or the alternative is to assume you're right. Right. And between those three options, I would love to constantly be reassessing things. Yeah. Assuming that I'm wrong. Totally. I, I think that's where I'm at too. And I don't know if that's all. In fact, I know that that's not always where I've been at. Right. That's been a process of me figuring that out over the last few years. Yeah. But absolutely. There's uh, there's so I think there's a lot of beauty in the world when you can see everything as as a moment to learn. Yeah. You know, if I assume that I'm right, then I lose my wonder. I lose my mm. opportunity to yeah, to gain something from somebody else. And I, I think it takes wisdom, you know, mm. if you're constantly being like, oh, that's another thing I'll take. That's another thing that's right. That's another thing that, that I'll accept. Yeah. You, you run into a problem, but if you reject everything, that's another problem. And so yeah. it's this idea that, like, there's this middle gray area.
1: There's a middle ground, dude. I I love that. And that's something that I've been thinking a lot lately, too, is just I think that in general, the middle ground is, first of all, I think that the middle ground is radical now. I think that being in the middle ground is the most radical position you can take on yeah, anything.
0: especially, you know, if without getting too political, you know, in, in today's political season, right. you basically have people who are extremes on both ends. But that's the majority. And so
1: it's I think that it is point. the vast majority. I think that it, the, I mean, like if you look on uh, Twitter is a great example. Like, what do you hear? You hear people screaming from each side um on anything or facebook or whatever like if you look on the internet it's there the everybody is screaming from one side or another it's like the positions that used to be radical are now the status quo and i think that's like sort of the compression of american culture that you have to be if you it, unless you scream really loud about something that's radical then you don't matter but like who who is being i mean i guess it's hard to have a loud voice when you're standing in the middle and you're like it's, well it's, there's validity to both of your thoughts but yeah. I think that that is the most radical viewpoint is mm-hmm. is to be standing in the middle.
0: Yep. I had never thought of it as the most radical viewpoint, but I love that. And I think yeah. you know, I think that if I listen to your music, I can hear that that middle point. Mm-hmm. And the thing is your music, you're not screaming, you're not shouting. It's not like the people on the far ends of the sides aren't going to hear you. Right. But some people closer to the middle are going to hear you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's interesting is you created something it's just a beacon for those who are looking for it. Yeah. And maybe that's what it is. It's that this middle ground is a place where we get to, yeah, we're not trying to win. We're just trying to live and we're trying to learn. And we're, I'm, mostly we're just trying to grow.
1: I think that's what it is. I think that's exactly right. It's trying to grow and trying to find the beauty in the world and to have like, have a full experience of life, which is not just having fun all the time. It's having a full human experience, and, and I, yeah, I, I don't know if you can. I don't totally know if you can have that from one. If you were sticking to one wall in any part of your life, um, I think that it's it's being able to walk around in it a bit. Hmm. I think that's where you find the good in it. Yeah, that's what that's what I've always loved about all the stuff that you've done is like finding the way that 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 human beings are able to interact with one another. That brings us hope. Like, I, I just like love that. I think it's beautiful. And sometimes you find hope by learning what is hopeless, right? Like you kind of find, you find out um, things by their opposites. And that's kind of, I think, in some ways what this record was for me. But um, yeah, man, I, I really like that. You find hope by learning what is hopeless.
0: That's beautiful. Um, I say we leave it at that. and uh, And I want to transition to this. Every episode, I ask three questions that okay. I love. Question number one. How would you describe the kind of person that you most admire in the world?
1: The person that I admire most in the world, I think, is a curious listener.
0: Curious listener.
1: I think that's what I aspire the most to be like. And I am so not. I think that's one of the reasons why I admire it so much. But people that are just genuinely excited about hearing. Hmm. That's who I admire the most. Curious listener.
0: Curious listener. I like that a lot. What are you consuming right now? Like what what is something that you are reading or watching or just engaging with where you're like this is this is made for me. This is inspiring me. This is making me live into who I want to be more or think through the things I want to think about.
1: So there's this book called Gilead um that I just finished. And I always screw up with the author's name. It's Marilyn Robinson. That's what it is. Mm. I'm pretty sure. Um it's about this guy who lives in this town, this little farm town, not unlike what we grew up in. And it's him at the uh, at the end of his life and he's um writing a letter to his young son. And um it's a beautiful book. That one that's got some lines in it that I was just like that was just the, I I had to sit with him for a little while. Wow. Um but and then on the other side of it like like I've been listening to that Kendrick Lamar record like a ton. Yeah. Um, I I need to spend a little more time with that Chance record, too. Um,
0: I've been been loving both of those. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I think, like, the last tour that I did uh, was with my two friends from Los Angeles who are both black Americans, and um, I felt like just sort of being around them for a month um, and sort of getting a view into their world, it gave me a whole new appreciation for that type of music in particular and what they're talking about and sort of... The real hardships of being a person of color in America. Uh, I've been thinking about that a lot. It's a long answer, I guess. Those are those are two of the things. No, that I've those been are been Consuming, yeah.
0: That's really good. Yeah, no, that's exactly my my jump into the world of of hip hop is learning, and it's it's kind of the same thing. It's like I'm trying to challenge myself. You know, growing up, I was the guy who was like, I like all music except for country and except for <laughs> hip hop. Yeah, 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 or, yeah. I probably said except for rap, right? Um, and now I live in Nashville, and I'm yeah. starting to learn the nuance and the beauty of country. Totally. Um, yeah. Some country. There's, I mean, there's some that is awful. Oh, yeah. Uh, bad art. Um, <laughs> but, and, that's, but th- and that's the same with hip hop. But like I'm oh. learning that there's so much beauty and nuance in this thing that yeah. I formerly rejected.
1: Totally. Um, on the countryside, the new Sturgill Simpson record is unbelievable. Really? Yeah, that's one. T- I'll I, check that out. Sturgill Simpson is boom, awesome. That's another one. I threw another one in there. I love that. (laughs) Snuck it in. That's
0: good. Um, Okay. I want to ask one last question. I normally ask, like based on the ways that you've chosen to step out and live your life in the unique way that you have, like what's one practical way that you would encourage somebody to do something right now, right here? But I maybe want to ask you, like if there's anybody who's going through something, you know, an experience of grief Hmm. or an experience of doubt or you know, their, their mind boxes are tipped. Yeah. Um, what is an encouragement for them? What's something that, that they can, uh, take action on, live into?
1: Yeah. I really like that question, man. I, I, I mean, I think I would, if there is anything in me that it is, that is wise, it's usually a direct plagiarism from my mom. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would just say that like, the, I mean, this is, this was the case for me, but the, um, being able to look back on my mom's life and death that she died beautifully um i don't know if i would have thought about it that way if i hadn't leaned into it and processed through things being hard really actively to a place where it feels like you're burning yourself um i think that that's i think that's probably the first i think that if you can find a way to to make yourself feel hard when things are lost, that ultimately you end up finding, it's like it, you end up burning out the stuff that's hard and you find a brand new beauty in the end. So that's what I think.
0: That's good, mm-hmm. lean into it.
1: Lean into it, man. Lean into it.
0: Um, well, Tyson, this has been so good.
1: That's a killer talk, dude. Man, this
0: is a g- this is a good freaking talk. I, it felt like a little like a little counseling session, little bit of, <laughs> little little in depth. But that like it's, I love your processing through all of this, and I love the intentionality you've had over the last few years. And um, and it's been really interesting that we've been on so much of this same journey, totally, in in fully different ways, yeah. in incredibly different ways. But I just, I resonated so much with this.
1: Dude, two kids from nowhere, Washington, man.
0: <laughs> oh, man. We'll, awesome. We'll have to do a reunion.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on tonight. Dude,
0: man. thanks so much. If people want to find your music, if they want to follow you on the internet, like, where can they do that?
1: So my name is Tyson Motzenbacher, which is a really long name. It's just like it sounds. M-O-T-S-E-N-B-O-C-K-E-R. That's my website and my Instagram and my Twitter. So Amazing. There you go. Cool. Well, dude, I'm so glad
0: we
2: got to have you on the show. Should we high five? Yeah, let's high five. said I'd walk to San Francisco After everything was done I thought the noise and moving busy kept my mind From really knowing what was gone When I finally saw it closing All those miles above I was only standing closer to the man I tried to lose along the way But if I'm being honest if I'm being honest Then I would tell him An aspen tree in the summer breeze she saw as waving hand it's a watching chair and a holy company like a sailing ship hard rot in it that will never again float upon the sea. I found that there is a humor In an old and fond goodbye As if the early passing was a door That she could look through with a smile so if I'm being honest If I'm being honest
0: Thanks again to Tyson for being on the show. That song you just heard, Honest, is on his new album, Letters to Lost Loves, available everywhere you can find music. Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey is part of the Gradient Podcast Network, and is created in collaboration between me, Brandon Harvey, and Gradient. Find them on Facebook and Twitter at at @gradient_is. That's Gradient, D-O-T-I-S. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode, you guys. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts soundcloud itunes stitcher overcast whatever that way new episodes of Soundscode will download to your phone in your sleep if you want to keep up with my travels and adventures you can find me on twitter instagram and snapchat at at brandon harvey that's brandon with an e n and you can learn more about me and sign up for my good newsletter at brandonharvey.com and that's it for this week's podcast i'll see you next week when we get the opportunity to learn from another incredible person sound good